we're going to do part two of three today. Next Sunday, I'm going to do a continuation, and we'll do the final and third part of this series called The Vision and the Mental, part two. Hallelujah. And I'm so excited about this season and what God has for us. Praise God. So you're going you're gonna to be happy now, right? This is our first Sunday after being uh, out of our 12 years. This is our first Sunday as an adult. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then just listen and you'll, you'll get caught up to speed. Some of you may have missed the last service. I want to remind you of a few things about, uh, that I didn't share last Sunday, but I did share on Wednesday night. And therefore, I wanted to repeat it on this Sunday because some of you may not have heard it if you didn't tune in on Wednesday. Uh, about the number 12 and about what 12 represents in the Bible. Because we've just had our 12-year anniversary last Wednesday, October 7th. It was a very special service. The Spirit of God got to moving a little bit. Amen. My wife got to prophesying at the end. And we we just sang and worshiped the Lord and it was wonderful. And I really felt God, God was here. He helped us on that service. It's like he, he was bearing witness to this, this moment of celebration as, as a local church. And even though it's not the seventh, but it's the first, son, first service after the seventh, I wanted to just share a couple thoughts very quickly, five minutes, but just, just to give you an idea and understanding of what God thinks about this 12th year, because he started to talk to me. And again, this is not, the, this is not uh, I'm not preaching doctrine now. This, this is not something, we, we don't take these things too far. This is just something the Lord dropped in me. He just kind of revealed it to me. Not, not to have it change your life necessarily, but just kind of like an aha moment. I said, oh, I never saw that, Lord. And, and I just thought, you know, I'll share it with you because he, he dropped it to me. And, and what he had said to me was, as, as the children of Israel came out of the 40 years of the wilderness, that long season. So you are, have come out of a long season, not 40 years, but 15 years of preparation. It's still a long season. There's still a parallel there. And he said, as they came out of that long season, and you've come out of that long season of preparation, and they went through the Jordan. Remember I preached last Sunday, the Jordan represents this demarcation line. Are you with me? Remember? Now, they failed the test. The first congregation members failed miserably. So let's see if you're any better. And I cringe while I wait for the wrong answer to be spoken. Uh, what does 2019 represent for us? It is our what year? Wow, that's really good. You guys got it. Wow. Everybody else got it wrong in the first service. Yes, 2017 was our Bethel year. 2018 was our Jericho year. 2019 was our Jordan year. The three stops of Elisha on his way to the plain of Jordan to receive the anointing. Do you remember what we had said without knowing it at the time, but now we know it more clearly that the Bethel year 17, we kept saying this is a year that God is speaking and Bethel means God speaks. The next year we said this is a year of God starting some things and Jericho is a year of, is a place of starting of the first campaign. And then we said, now 19 is a year of settling, and 19 Jordan represents God dividing a season, a separation of seasons, but also God verifying, validating, uh, confirming, establishing, and settling certain things. And so we had that, if you remember, as I preached last week, we've had these seasons we didn't even know, but we've been leading up to this. So the Lord had said to me, as the, as the children of Israel ended a long season, went through the Jordan, which was a kind of a demarcation line, the wilderness season is over, the new season is ahead. He, the first thing they did, Joey, as soon as they stepped out of the Jordan, they finished that Jordan experience, they set up a memorial of 12, one stone for each tribe. And then as soon as they did that, they went into Gilgal, where they got circumcised and they dealt with their flesh. Then they went 
right up close to where Jericho is. And that's when the angel, that's when the angel of the Lord, which is really Jesus, shows up with the drawn sword to Joshua. He says, take your shoes off. This is holy ground. And he gives him basically the anointing or the vision of what he's supposed to do and empowers him for it. And then right after that, they go and they start taking the land. They go and they take Jericho and then for five years they do conquest. And I just saw some parallels. He said, there's been a long season leading up to the Jordan. And so there's been a long season for you, 15 years. You've just come through the Jordan experience of 2019 and now you're in 2020 and he said and you also have set up a memorial of 12 because it's our 12th anniversary now you can't make that up I didn't even notice that he just dropped that in me he said just like they had 12 you have 12 praise God and he said now as soon as that 12 comes to an end which we've just celebrated that last weekend this week he said after they set up that memorial what is the first thing they did they went right into Gilgal which was a place of dealing with flesh covenant separation of the world and closeness with God. That's what it represented. And he said, and you're, as soon as you've done this time of the celebration of your anniversary, he said, where are you going? You're going right into your fast. What is the fast? It's Gilgal. Gilgal represents the wilderness of Jesus or the fast that we're going through. It represents a time where you deal with yourself, deal with your flesh, deal with your way of doing things, put down. It's a, it's a renewal of covenant with God because that's what circumcision is. It's a time where you are close with God. It's a time where you're dealing with your flesh and you're getting closer to him. Gilgal was a time of holy separation and this fast is a time of holy separation. Do you see the parallels? Then they finish the Gilgal and immediately the man with the drawn sword comes and there's a, it's a holy experience and he, he empowers and anoints with, uh, Joshua with an assignment. That represents picking up the mantle. Jesus at the end of his wilderness got that anointing. He came out in the power of the Spirit. And we, at the end of this season, Jenny, at the end of this fast, at the end of this wilderness, at the end of this Gilgal experience, we're going to pick up that mantle. We're going to pick up that assignment. It's going to be a holy experience where God says, I separate you for this assignment and I anoint you. Not just me, but the whole church. Just like Joshua with the captain of the army of the hosts of the Lord. He had a separation and an empowering experience. And just like what we're going to have. And then as soon as he did that, then he immediately started going out to execute that plan and take Jericho. And as soon as we get that, it's going to be the end of the year and we're going to step into a new year under that mantle and we're going to step into starting to actively and intentionally work and operate under that assignment that we have for this city. There's a beautiful parallel to that. Do you understand? Let me say this. I've preached, this is my 30th year, I've preached for 30 years under an anointing. Probably the least anointing I ever preached under was my first sermon which was two hours long on the subject of heaven. And by the end of it, every person in the room was praying that they would go to heaven. Okay, but hopefully over the years, I've had a little bit of growth. Hopefully, some of you maybe don't agree, but I've had hopefully a little bit of growth over the years. But from the first, albeit lightly anointed, lightly seasoned sermon to present, I've always preached under an anointing, but preaching under anointing is not preaching under a mantle, they're different. I've always had the anointing to preach like every other minister does, but the mantle is not just an anointing to preach. The mantle is an anointing. It's an assignment for a city. That's why it's so precious to God. That's why it's so holy. That's why you can't get it just because you snap your fingers. That's why it's taken years to prove ourselves to God, to be faithful, to be loyal, to be honorable, to be counted worthy. And then even in the year that we pick it up, there was tests that had to be passed. 
there was a distraction that we couldn't get, let, get, get our attention, which was COVID. There is a fast that is required so that we empty ourselves and let him pour himself into us. This is a very holy and precious moment for our lives. And just because I've preached under the anointing for 30 years does not mean I've ever preached under the mantle. I've never preached ever under the mantle because I don't have it. The mantle was revealed to us to mark us many years ago, but that doesn't mean we're operating under it. It is there. It is hovering. If you want to look at it that way, it is influencing. If you want to look at it that way, God is revealing stuff about it, but I've never preached a sermon under the mantle because I've never picked up. The mantle has not been fully picked up yet. There's a bit of an overlap in the season, and I believe certain things of it have already started to influence certain outcomes, and certain things have already started happening, but it hasn't officially, in God's mind, been transferred. Do you understand? It was here. Uh, I won't get into it because I'm not permitted right now, but, but the Lord started sharing some things with me, which I'll get to in the months. I can't say them right now. Showing me what is coming next year, the next year, the next year, the next year. And I wrote down some things that he said, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, that's going to happen. And I, and I just, because that's what I heard God say, I, I can't prove it, but that's just what I know is coming. But then I look back at some of my notes that uh, in my research and studying of the revival down at Bond Street, which was the inception of the mantle. And I, and I, I didn't really remember it, to be honest with you. I didn't write those things down because I was trying to make a parallel with that original revival. I was writing it down because the Lord said this is going to happen and this is when it's going to happen. This is going to happen and this is when it's going to happen. So I wrote it down. When I looked back at those notes, I was astounded. The, the parallels with the first church and with, God, with the timeline God has given me for the immediate future are exactly the same. I'm talking about a hundred years split on everything. Certain things that happened with them, it's exactly a hundred years later they're happening with us. I don't know how to explain that to you because I wasn't trying to create a timeline based on their experience because I didn't even remember what their experience was. I was writing it based on what God said to me, this is going to happen. And I'm thinking, well, Lord, that's great. I trust you. But I mean, there's no way you could confirm that, I guess, until it happens. And he confirmed it by showing me the parallel of what happened 100 years ago. Yes, amen. The, 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 the mantle came to the shores of Ontario, 1917, and we started talking about it 2017. That was the year of speaking. We knew about it 2010, but we never started really declaring it and promoting it and talking about it aggressively until God said, start talking about the mantle. And that all happened in 2000, exactly 100 years. God works in hundreds. Now, don't get weird and strange with that because you can get into a ditch. But I'm just saying, if God, if God is authoring it, then you take it. But you can't author it yourself. But I'm noticing parallels. Certain things that happened then ex happened exactly 100 years later. Certain of their preparation times have mirrored us exactly 100 years later. Certain of their breakthroughs, what happened in that church as, a, as the beginnings of that revival breakthrough is what happened on a certain year. And when the Lord said to me, this is weeks before I looked back at those old journals. And the Lord said, the first breakthrough, your church is going to happen here. And he told me exactly when. And when I look back at the journal, exactly, exactly when it happened then, 100 years later is when God said it's going to happen with us. I mean, you can't make it up. You can't manufacture it. It freaked me out when I saw it. I said, oh my God, Lord, are you, I was, I just know that's what you said. I didn't know that's what happened with them. I mean, I guess I knew, but I totally forgotten. There are, listen, God's hand is bigger 
than you, than me, than this church. It's bigger than this generation. It's bigger than this season of people's lives. Because nobody's 100 years old. That means what God started before any of us were born. He saw in his future. He saw in the foreknowledge, his foreknowledge. He saw that it would hold off what would happen. And he saw somebody else would pick it up. And he said with Noah, he said he preached righteousness for 100 years before he moved. So not, it doesn't always do it that way, but many times there are similarities there with God doing certain things and hundred year gaps. And I know for this mantle thing, for sure, there is definitely a parallel. Not that we've tried to make one, but God has revealed it to us. And then we see the parallel after the fact. And it just shocks me. I'm like, Lord, I can't believe I'm glad he showed it to me first, Jenny, because if I'd seen that first and then he had spoken, I might have doubted myself and said, oh, that's just you trying to imitate the history. But he showed it to me before I even knew the history. And then when I saw the history and it lines up exactly, I thought, my God, Lord, you've had your hand on this the whole time. And there's certain seasons, set times. With God, there are set times for certain things. Certain things you can speed up with God. Other things are set. Don't matter how much you pray, you're not going to speed it up. You pray to get ready so that when the set time comes and the deluge comes, you're able to receive the capacity of it, but your praying won't speed it up. Other things, your prayers can speed things up because it's not a set time. But there are set times in God. With this end day harvest and the, and the tribulation, and the, those are all set times. Your prayers are not going to speed up the, 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 the rapture of the church or slow it down. They are set by God. And on bigger things, little things, your prayers can speed or slow. But on big, major things that are beyond you. See, this mantle is beyond us. This is, this is generational. This is many Christians over a long period of time that have been praying for Toronto. This is really, it's almost irrelevant of us, Joey. I mean, we're, we're, the, we're the tool that is in the hand of the master at the moment to thresh and bring in the harvest. But this idea was long before any of us were born. This is generational and it is beyond us. And because of the largeness of it and the mammothness of it in the mind of God, it is a set time. It is not just individual for your life and my life that I may speed or slow things down with my prayers. This is a set time because it's beyond me. It's a generational issue. That is why we're not, that's why you can't, we're going to pray to position and prepare ourselves, but it's not going to happen until he told me it's going to happen. And when he said it to me, it's going to happen. You watch, it's going to happen. And it's more than just me. It's not only because he said it, but it's because he did it a hundred years ago to that exact specification. And he's going to repeat the pattern again. It's astonishing to me. These are bigger things that most preachers don't talk about. And I think it's because they don't really understand it. They can't fathom it. And I can't fathom it either. I'm not trying to explain it to you. I'm just announcing it to you. I can't explain it, Joe. All I know is what he told me. And I know that we are in the perfect time and the perfect will of God right now. We are exactly where he, should, where he wants us to be and where we should be. And we're going to keep going. Why? Not because we're so great, but because we've got a great Holy Ghost. And if we step out a little bit, he smacks us and he goes, get back in line. For you to mess this up, you've got to be very rebellious. Because the Holy Ghost is so desperately trying to get this accomplished in the earth. He doesn't want to wait for us to mess up. He doesn't want us to mess up. Then he has to get a whole other group going through all of their stuff. All of their tests and trials and preparation and showing that they're worthy of it. God is not, he doesn't, he wants us to, he wants this to be, this, this is it. And we're going to do it because our hearts are right. Hallelujah. 
So we have come out of the season through this Jordan year. <laughs> we've come into this year to receive this anointing. Praise God, we've, we're coming into, we've set this memorial of 12. We're coming into this Gilgal fast. We're going to see Jesus, not see him physically, but where he's going to, he's going to like Joshua with the sword drawn, he's going to say, I empower you. Here is the assignment that you have. And he's going to drop it on us. And the next year we're going to step into it. That's the season we're in right now. It's very, it's very precious. And look, look at the mastery of God, Reverend Sandra, how he hasn't just used one individual in the Bible because one individual does not have enough detailed specification to match exactly what's happening with us. So he's used David in certain areas to explain parallels. He's used Joshua and other par to explain other parallels. He's used Elisha. He's used the life of Jesus. And he's also used Jacob. I don't think I'll get to it today, but next Sunday, uh, this member, I remember I told you much earlier in the year, I said, God revealed to me during the COVID season when we were on live stream only, I said, God gave me a great revelation about, about Jacob. And I didn't even know fully what all that meant because on August the 2nd, he showed me what he was really talking about, about Jacob. I only saw a very small part of it back during the COVID time. But on August 2nd, he showed, I'm going to preach that next Sunday so you can see the full picture here. But he's used five Bible characters all in their unique way with their unique stories and unique details blended as a group to give me confirmation to show types and shadows and, and parallels of what we're going through so that I wouldn't doubt it, so that I wouldn't think I'm crazy, which you can think sometimes when you're dealing with this kind of a magnitude. So that I wouldn't think, oh, well, that's just my mind saying it, or that's just my ambition saying it, or that's somebody else prophesying to me, but it's not really God. God has done this so strategically, so consistently, over such a long period of time, given me so many scriptures and so many people in the Bible as examples, I cannot deny it. Amen. It is truth, and it is fact, and it is going to happen. Amen. Because he, he, by his masterful design, has orchestrated it. Yes, he has. An orchestra, an orchestra is many instruments, yes. and that guy with the stick, what's his name, conductor, he's there, and he says that one instrument has to do its part, and it blends with another instrument, and all of them blend to make a beautiful sound. And God uses David in one way and Elisha in another way. He uses Pastor Nancy in her role in our life in Greer. He uses this like Willie. Willie was a certain member of that orchestra because God used her to talk to me about when the mantle was coming. See, he's got all these instruments. All these scriptures are all, are all these scriptures he's given me. These people in the Bible, they're all instruments. All these prophecies, they're instruments. The things he said to me, they're all, and it's this massive orchestra, and everything has its part, and they're all playing at the same time, and yet there's no confusion. There's one sound, and it's a beautiful, beautiful melody of the path that we walk on for our future. Only God could do that. No human being is smart enough or deceitful enough to be able to create all these things and have them blend perfectly. So as you hear this, I may be talking about one instrument one week and another instrument another. I want you to realize in the bigger picture, it all comes together. Yes. So this number, so we're, we're, that's the first thing. Now, the second thing is this number 12, because uh, he started dealing with me about that. He said, don't, he said, pause for a second. You're overlooking. Cause I rush all the time. I'm always running. And he said, you're, you're rushing. I even said to the staff, ah, 12, whatever. Uh, they said, should we do something special for the anniversary? I said, ah, 12, I'm sure it doesn't mean anything. I said, no, don't do anything. Remember that in the staff meeting, Taylor? Because I'm always rushing. Let's just get past this. I need to get to the fast, for goodness sakes. Forget the 12, forget the anniversary. Let's just get to this thing I need to do. 
that's looming. I need it over. Praise God. I need to do the assignment. So I was in a rush and he said, slow down, son. He said, there's things about 12 that you don't know. That's a very symbolic and important year. So I slowed down and I started to do a little bit of study on it. And I was interested and, and, and fascinated, to be honest with you, with what I found. So number 12 uh, is the number in the Bible of foundation and established government. Established, not just government. You can have a lot of things that are organized, but they're not established. So any kind of a system that is established or a government that is established or something foundational, you'll see a connection with the number 12. I'm talking, I'm not talking about numerology. I'm not talking about getting in the ditch. I'm just talking about what we, what we can see in theology and in the Bible. For example, for example, praise God, the number 12, the established celestial systems. How many are there? 12. The devil calls them the 12 signs of the Zodiac. But that's the devil. <laughs> they are 12 constellations that tell the story of Jesus. Yes. In the, star, the stars speak forth, the Bible says, the glory of God. Get Marilyn Hickey's book. It's online. I forget the name of it, but just type in stars or constellations, Marilyn Hickey, it'll come up. This, I think this says the heavens declare, something like that, or signs in the heavens, I don't know. But get that book, it tells you each of the 12 constellations and the story it tells about Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, and sitting on his throne as King of kings and Lord of lords. The whole, uh, whole, uh, the whole story of salvation is written in the stars. And there's 12 of them because it's the number of an established celestial system. Are you with me? The, the number, what about our established time? The establishment of time on earth, what we govern our lives by, called the calendar, is broken into 12 months based on those 12 celestial constellations. Even the way the sun is on its ecliptic, it works with the number 12 because it's an established system that God set. I'm just trying to just give you a little bit of a hint of what it means. The established government of Israel was founded in 12 tribes. Jacob couldn't have 10, he had to have 12 because that was God's number for an established government system and that's what it was based on. Praise God. Uh, of course, then there were 12 stones, what they called foundation stones that they did when they came out of Jordan, one for each tribe. Do you know that there are 12 disciples which turned into the 12 apostles of the Lamb? Why did Jesus pick 12? Because it represented a foundation. It represented strength. It represented established government. That's why he picked 12. He could have picked nine, but he picked 12. Do you know that in the new Jerusalem, there are 12 gates, there are 12 precious stones, and there are 12 foundation stones upon which the city is built, and each apostle of the Lamb has his name engraved on one of the foundation stones. Even unbelieving Thomas, who was always late to church, has his name engraved on a foundation stone in heaven. Why? Because 12 is the number of foundation. It's the number of an establishment. Do you understand? Yes. Isn't that marvelous? I just think that's wonderful. And just by the way, 12 apostles, they're called foundation apostles. Read Kenneth Hagin's book, He Gave Gifts Unto Men. Apostles today are not the apostles of the original. The original apostles were called foundational apostles. We are not, I am not a foundational apostle. No human being has been since those 12. There's only 12 foundational apostles. They have special favor with God because they established the church. Amen. 
Do you understand? We build upon their foundation. So we are lesser apostles compared to them. But again, you see the foundation apostles, there were 12 of them because it represents the number of foundation. Even in Jewish culture, a young man or a young woman is a child until they reach 12. When they complete 12's childhood ends and the bat mitzvah, if you're a girl, I don't know why they call them bats. And the bar mitzvah, if you're a boy, I guess they like to go to the bar, I don't know. But the bat or the bar mitzvah starts at 13, right? Because 12 is a sign of childhood and 13 is a sign of adulthood. I'm talking about in Jewish culture. In our culture, we say 16 and 18 and 21, but that's not what God's culture says. God's culture says 13, you're a man, you can get married. Now, if any of you get married at 13, we're going to have a major problem. Because they can't even take care of themselves, let alone have a baby nine months later and try to take care of that baby. So, Taylor, do not encourage bar mitzvah pregnancies or marriages. Okay, we want them to grow up a little bit, but technically God called you a man at 13 and a woman at 13. Do you understand? So what does that mean to us? For the foundation laying years of this church was 12. Our childhood years were 12. We were a baby until 12. But when you pass that marker, in the, it's, it's a natural marker, but in the spirit, there's a line. When you pass that line, God looks at you and says, you're no longer a child. Now you're an adult. You're no longer in the foundation laying years. You're now in the building upon years. And that's what we've just entered into as of Wednesday. This new season is a season of building, not a season of foundation laying because we've passed that threshold in the spirit. That's why it's interesting that as soon as we pass that foundation laying season, it ended, immediately we take up the fast, we take up the mantle, and we start to run in Hebron. We start to run and accomplish and build. You think that that wasn't thought out by God perfectly? And I said, but does that mean Lester was wrong, Lord? He said 10. Lord said, well, a bare minimum of 10. But he said, my word says 12. So he said, go with my word. A church is not a real church until it's 12. A church cannot really take spiritual full ownership and responsibility and have that occupy that place in the spirit the way it's supposed to until it passes that childhood phase. And so we've passed it. So it's, it's important that we take a moment and we, and we meditate for a second and just, just instead of rushing all the time, but just think about how important this anniversary really is to God. This is special to him. We are no longer a baby church. Some of you are looking at me like I've got six heads. Is there a reason you're doing that? We're no longer a baby church. You might still be a baby, but the church as a whole is no longer a baby church. We have graduated in God's book. When you go through graduation, it's a time of celebration. Amen? So we have graduated. We're, we're, we're out of the diaper stage. We're out of the the little baby stage, and where God expects something of us now. Maybe that's what I need to emphasize more than anything, is that there's an expectation of responsibility upon you as a congregation member, because we no longer can make the excuse, oh Lord, we're a little church, we're a young church, we don't know what we're doing, we haven't been around very long. God's saying, no, 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 you're an adult. You've passed some tests. You've, you've been faithful for a long time. You're now in your building years, not your foundation years. The foundation has been laid. What a joy that we can step over that line that we've been building toward that line for so long. Now, all of a sudden, for what? All these years, Errol has been ahead of me. And now I look back for the first time. This is the first service, second service, first day. Since, and I, for the first time, look back and it's behind me. Mind you, it's only a foot behind me. We haven't made much progress away from it, but it's technically behind us. We're now in a new season. Amen. 
And this season is indicative of a few things that, that including this fast that I want to just talk to you about a little bit for today because I believe it's important. Yes. Praise God. So I was rushing a little bit last Sunday, but I, I just want to explain a little bit more to you that, of course, August 2nd, he said all this stuff to me. He said that there was a ripping of the garment, but I didn't know what it meant. He said this ripping of the garment is as important as the horsemen of a fire and chariot of fire. Meaning the third season is as important as the second season. But he didn't tell me what the ripping of the garment meant. I knew what the chariots of fire meant because we had already passed that test. That was the COVID distraction. But I didn't know what this meant. So then midway through the month, he whispers to me, a fast is coming. I said, okay, Lord, whatever you say, I'll do. I don't really know what kind of fast. There's lots of different kinds of fasts. So whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And then on August the 28th, he started talking to me. And I'll, I'll tell you the phrase that he said. He said, you have gone through Jordan. That was 19. You've entered into the season of Hebron to get the mantle. That's 20. So likewise, you are now to go into the wilderness like Jesus did. Die to the flesh. That is the ripping of your garment. And you'll pick up that anointing. Amen. Just like he did. Praise God. Amen. That's also when he said to me, he went in as a 30 and you're going in. So there's a lot of symbolism here with my 30th year of ministry and the 12th year of the church. I didn't create all that. He, he said that to me because I'm not thinking about that stuff. But he just, and none of it is so life-changing. It's more like just like an aha, like, oh, by the way, did you know that he was 30 and you're 30? Oh, okay, Lord, that's interesting. Oh, did you know that the 12 means, okay, Lord, that's how, I'm not trying to make an overemphasis. I'm just saying he just dropped those little nuggets and we don't base our whole life on them, but they're just interesting to see how his hand is guiding without us even realizing the importance of all the symbolism of all the years and all the things God has it he's so much more detailed than we are everybody is under this thing that everything's coincidental and it's not it's not coincidental in fact I, Jenny was reading this thing with this from these rabbis these not Christians these are these are very serious orthodox rabbis they teach rabbinical law in Jerusalem and they were writing an article about how according to the Torah which is the Bible the first the Pentateuch is the first five books but the Torah is all of the Old Testament that they were giving a, a, basically a thesis an argument like a legal argument a theologically legal argument how nothing with God is coincidental and these are the top rabbinical minds in the world giving scriptural evidence to show how just because your mind is too small to understand that things are connected, God in his magnificence is looking down upon you and your whole life is this big to him. And he expands you out and he's got dots everywhere and there's connections and reasons and connections and symbolisms and he's got everything organized and you just think half the time it's coincidence but he actually had his hand moving things so that it would happen i know it almost sounds like fate it's not fate it's god in his magnificence as the orchestrator of life that is governing your life far more than you realize even when you don't know his hand is moving things for you even when we didn't know what these things meant in the three years, we were doing his will. He was going to show us later, looking back. But at the moment, we had to do it by faith. But his hand had it all. <laughs> Sometimes you look back and go, oh God, how did you work this out? How come you let me meet that pastor at Evangel who told me the history of Amy Simba McPherson? How was what? It seemed like coincidence. Yes. But God orchestrated and moved things so that that would come to pass. That wasn't coincidence. That was his hand. Yeah. But because I find it hard to fathom that, that he could be that involved in the intricacy of details, I think it's coincidence, but it's not coincidence, it's his hand. Yes. 
There's a lot that happens, I think, that we think is just fate or chance or luck or whatever word we want to use. But God has his hand involved. He's, he's arranging and moving things so that his perfect will comes out the way he wants it. But he won't do it through robots. We have to choose and yield. And we have to do it by faith. So when you find somebody that won't yield, you'll find somebody else that will. And when you find somebody that will yield, Taylor, but they won't walk in faith, he'll, he'll discard them. Not that he doesn't love them. They'll go to heaven, but his plan won't work in their life. He'll discard them and find somebody who will yield, but is also in faith. Because you have to yield, but you have to be in faith. You have to yield, but you have to be in faith. And when God finds somebody that won't question him so much and will just do what he says yielding and do it in faith when it seems impossible, then he says, finally, I've found somebody that I can move the pieces in their life so that my will comes the way I want it. But it's through them, but it's through their yielded will because I won't force it. And it's through faith because all things must be done by faith. And it sometimes takes God time to find people like that. But when he finds them, he'll work with them. I believe he's found promise of life. I believe we're one of those groups of people that are yielded and in faith so that his mastery of moving the pieces around, which may look like chance and, and all of a sudden and they're disconnected, but actually God's hand was on it the whole time. Praise God. Hallelujah. So on the 28th of August, he said, listen, you're going to go into the wilderness. I already knew the fast was coming. And I said, well, Lord, you still haven't told me what kind of fast. And then back of my mind, I'm thinking, don't give me the mother, mother load. Just give me chocolate or something. I'll do TV. TV's good. I'll fast TV. I didn't think he'd ask for the mother load. But on August the 30th, I already shared it to you. He come to me. I had a vision of a man walking up to me. I didn't see his face. I just saw his hands and his feet. I believe it was Jesus, but I don't know because I, I don't know. I just tell you what I saw. He was holding a beautiful, very ornamental uh, silver tray with something on it. He handed it to me and and that what that item was, was this fast. And he said to me very gently and very sweetly, will you accept this? In other words, a fast is required, but a fast will not be forced. You have to receive it. Listen, to not go to hell and to go to heaven, it is required that you are saved, but it is not forced. You cannot take what is required and not have what God intended. Yeah. Right? Yes, say it works with salvation, it works with healing, it works with this. I, it is required, but it was not forced. And he was asking me to receive it. And I did with many tears early in that morning, because it was a very supernatural experience seeing a vision like that, seeing a man walk up to me. And, uh, and I, 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 but I said, Lord, I don't know how, I don't know how. I'll do anything you say. I yield my vessel to you. I'm yours to command, Father. I'll do anything. I'll never let you down. But I don't understand how I'm going to get through this. I don't think physically I can do this. I'm not in sh- the best shape of my life. I just don't think I can handle this physically. And as soon as I, but I said, I accept it. And as soon as I accepted it, he spoke very loud and very strong. He said, when you earlier in your life, when you met your wife, you tried to do a 40-day fast in the flesh. Of course, I didn't get through but a few days and then I went back to eating because it was not authored by heaven. It was authored by me. In fact, it was me imitating David Hogan. Because David Hogan said, you need to fast 40 days and shave your head because he shaved his head and he fasted 40 days to seek God. And then he went out and had this amazing ministry. And so I heard him say that and it inspired me. So I got a razor. I shaved my head. I was bald as a baby's bottom. (laughs) And I said, I'm going on a fast. 
And I tried to fast, but did God ask me to shave my head because David shaved his head? Did God ask me to fast 40 days because David fasted 40 days? No. You can be inspired to do things and be completely out of the will of God. So don't wait to be inspired. Wait for the inner witness. Inspiration is not what we're after. The leading of the Spirit is what we're after. And that was obviously a complete fiasco and a complete failure. And then I thought, well, I thank God, I'll never do that again. Listen, if you do things out of the will of God and you get a bad taste in your mouth because of it, that's very dangerous. Because later on, when God may ask you to do the same thing in his will, you will fight against it because you've had a bad memory. Right? You give a lot of money that God didn't ask and it didn't produce any help and it ruined your finances. Then when we say, God says, I want you to give this to the building. Well, I'm not going to give that. Because the last time I gave something big, look what happened to me. You see, when you practice things outside the will of God, it hurts when you now have to do it in the will of God because you have a bad, bitter taste in your mouth and a bad memory. So I had a bad, in my, I'm connecting 40 days with awfulness. So it, it took a, that's why God had to talk to me and get that stinking thinking out. And he said, I never authored it. David authored it. You're not led by David. You're led by me. So you messed it up. But I am authoring this now. He said that to me. I am authoring this now. He said, so there will be a sustaining anointing upon you. I've never heard anybody use that phrase before, but I heard him say, there will be a sustaining anointing on you to physically withstand this, the pressure of this. I said, yes, sir. If you, I'm still very emotional as I'm praying because I'm feeling the effects in my soul and in my body about what's coming. It doesn't feel very good, to be honest with you. But my heart is right. The Bible says that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. My flesh was very weak, but my spirit was very willing. And I was saying, Lord, I'll do it, but how? And he's saying, the last one wasn't authored by me. This one is. I will give you a sustaining anointing. Then I said, is there anything I can do to help you, Father, with the sustaining anointing? Because I want to make sure I don't miss any whiff of the sustaining anointing. I'm going to need it all, and I'm going to need it times ten. If I'm going to get through this. And he said, he gave me a scripture. He took me to where Jesus fasted 40 days. And he said, the Bible says when, when his flesh wanted food and the devil presented food to him. You're the son of God. Can't you turn this stone into bread? How did he respond? What was he tempting him with? Nourishment. Physical nourishment. And what did he say? What did he need? Physical nourishment. And what did Jesus answer? No, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, the nourishment I need, devil, is not in physical food. The nourishment I need is from God's word. So God's word has a supernatural ability to not only take care of your spiritual appetite, but also to sustain your physical appetite. But he highlighted the word every man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. He said, son, you read the Bible, not with Max McLean reading it to you. My favorite, you know, guy that reads to me. But he said, you let your ears hear you read it. Cover to cover, Genesis 1-1 to Revelation, whatever the last verse is. I don't know that now, but I'm sure I'll know that at the end because I'm going to read the whole Bible. And he said, every word. He, he said, I'll take it literally. This is not a symbol. Let's take it literally. He said, I want you to read every word. Pause when I tell you to pause to meditate. Yeah. 
But if I don't tell you to pause, you just keep reading. You read every word, every word, and the spiritual quality of God's word will cause the sustaining anointing to work for you physically. I said, Lord, that sounds a little far out there. Give me another verse. <laughs> I'm not sure I believe that. Just give, just give me two out of the mouth of two witnesses. Give me another verse. He gave me that verse when the disciples were trying to get Jesus to eat. And Jesus said, I leave me alone, boys. I have meat that you know not of. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. What was he saying? My nourishment. You're trying to give me physical nourishment. But my physical nourishment is to do the assignment that God has given me, which means when you obey the spiritual assignment, it can actually produce a physical strength. Yes. And then the, my mind can't quite figure that one out, but I know because that's what the word says. A spiritual obedience can produce physical energy and strength. And Moses was up there without any food or anything like that, and he was doing the will of God and he was sustained. And Jesus was doing the will of God and he was sustained. So there's, don't cry for me, Argentina. There's a sustaining anointing coming. Hallelujah. Praise God. And then I still said, but Lord, see, see, we're humans. Like Elijah, James says, was human. We're humans. We have fears. We have emotions. And so in that same session, I said, Lord, thank you for that sending on. I said, but Lord, I'm not trying to annoy you or be, speak out of turn. I said, but you know what happens when I don't eat? Maybe other people are different, but when I don't eat, I get so nauseous, I throw up. I said, I don't want to be throwing up every day. I know you just said your sustaining anointing will be there. But I said, Lord, I, I know that feeling. I know that awful, agonizing feeling in my stomach. I said, I don't. And he said, you remember Africa last year? He said, did you have one hunger pain in three days? I said, no, Lord, it didn't even dawn on me. I said, no, Lord, I didn't. And he said, it will be the same. You will not have one hunger pain for 40 days. Now, I find that hard to believe, even staying it right now. But that's what he said. Amen. So I said, so give me a verse for that, Lord. Since you've given me verses for the other, give me a verse for this one. That sounds too good to be true. And he didn't speak to me, but he spoke to my beautiful wife, and he gave her this verse, and he said, go read it to your husband. And she walked in the room and said, sit down. I said, don't tell me what to do, woman. She said, I said, sit down. I said, yes, sir. And I sat down. <laughs> I'm afraid. I'm not afraid of Satan and all his darkness, but I'm afraid of Jennifer Field. Let me tell you that. <laughs> and God gave her a verse and it said, and he fasted 40 days without food. And it says, and afterward he hungered. I've read that a hundred times and never seen it. But by revelation knowledge, my wife got it and I got it. God was showing us. Now you can't I'm saying that's, you can argue theologically with me all you want about how they wrote and what the Greek says, but that was by revelation. It doesn't matter what your argument is. I know it by revelation. And he showed by revelation, not just by study, but by revelation, not just by mental, but by spiritual revelation. He showed me and my wife that Jesus went 40 days and afterward he hungered, which means Jesus never had hunger for 40 days because there was a sustaining anointing. Now, you try to do it without the sustaining anointing, you won't get six hours. Maybe if you're lucky or strong, 12 hours. Maybe if you've got iron will, 36 hours. But you'll eventually break. But with a sustaining anointing, you can do, you can do things different. So don't cry for me, but, but you can pray. Praise God, I don't mind you praying. Somebody said in the birthday card, Pastor, I won't pray that it'll be light and easy, but I will pray that you'll fulfill your assignment. And I thought, well, that's so sweet of them. And then I got to thinking about that. And I said, Lord, I'm going to fulfill my assignment, but please pray it would be light and easy too. 
So if you wrote that card, since you didn't tell me who you were, thank you for your beautiful words of encouragement. Sincerely, I appreciated them, but please pray that it will be light and easy. <laughs> Don't just pray for the assignment. I'd like it. To, if it's spiritual, it'll be light and easy. Amen. Praise God. So this is, this is, uh, this is where we're at, Jennifer. We've got, this, we've got this tearing of the garment that is before us. And he's so kind, Taylor, he doesn't rush. Yeah. He says it to me August 2nd, gives me a whole month to just wait on him so he can drop the bombshell. He didn't drop it on me the first day. He knew I would blow up. <laughs> so he gives me a whole month to grow accustomed to the idea, just the idea. Then on the 30th, he drops the bombshell. I almost blew up. But then he gives me the whole month of September just to get accustomed to it. Talk to the staff about it. Get out of my emotions about it. And then he's given me the whole month of October to talk to you about it and to get prepared with all the natural things that have to happen in preparation. And so we started November the 2nd and we ended December the 11th. Whatever your role is in this fast, do it within that time frame. Don't start it today. Don't start it next week. Do it while I'm doing it. Let's do it in unity and in one accord. And we'll do it at the same time. Whatever your role is, you do your role. Whatever my role is, I'll do. And I believe that we'll fulfill this. We'll fulfill the plan of God for 2020. We'll rip the garment. We'll go through Gilgal. We'll go through the wilderness like Jesus. And at the end of it, we'll pick up that assignment, that mantle that he's been talking so many years. And we will start to operate in the mantle next year. Not just in the anointing. I'm operating in the anointing now, but I'm not operating in the mantle right now. We'll start to operate under the assignment for the city. Praise God. I won't say what it is right now because I can't say it on live stream. I have to cut live stream at some point in the future. But he already told me, he said, your first Sunday back, which is the 13th of December, he said, I want you to do this. He told me exactly what to do in the service. And there might not even be enough time to preach that day because of what he told me I have to do with you. You all, you're all doing it with me. It's going to be awesome. But he said, there'll be an impartation on that service. So praise God for that. Then the next service we have is is Christmas service, the 20th. So it's not a normal service. I'm kind of limited on time and I have to preach real short and I have to do it more evangelistic. But then, so really the first service that we're going to preach under that mantle is going to be the last service of the year, which is the, the 27th. The last service of the year is the first service we preach under that mantle. Isn't that interesting that he said, you'll pick it up at the end of the runway, the takeoff? We'll start operating it on the last service of the year. I just think that's amazing how God structures things, Willie. It's amazing. Now, I don't want you to think like, wow, pastor's going to have his hair is going to be like this. And he's this, this wings coming out of his back. And he's going to lunge like Superman. And this mantle is going to, he's going to be a totally different human being. And everything, the, 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 the lights are going to burst and the paint is going to peel. And we're going to hear angels singing. I don't want people to get weird with it, Jenny, and think that some dramatic, there may be something dramatic, but I'm not saying that there's going to be a dramatic change that what you are used to in a service is going to be completely different or what you're used to with preaching, because it's probably not going to be that way. It's probably not going to be like flipping a switch and it's dark to light kind of thing. It's probably going to be over a period of time. But what I'm saying to you is that that mantle that we've been talking about, that is the assignment for this city. It is the assignment that God has for Toronto. And he started it 100 years ago. And then the next church did a measure of it, but lost it. The next church did a measure of it, but lost it. Now we've picked it up. Little old us. 
Why on earth God would pick us, I have no idea, but he did. And we've had a long season of proving ourselves, and we're about to pick it up. This is a very important period of time. And then that mantle is to not pour foundation. Notice, Jenny, he didn't give us the mantle until the foundation was done. The mantle is not designed for a baby church. The mantle is not designed for a church that is still in infancy. The mantle requires maturity. The mantle requires a church that has passed certain tests. That's right. That is why we're not picking it up until after our 12-year foundation laying season. We're in a building season now going forward, and the mantle is going to help build. And I have no, so you pray as you're ready, as you want, pray out with me. Look, because I don't know, I don't know everything. I just know certain things, but I don't know by far. I don't know everything. I have no idea what, how, how, how are we supposed to do this? We're a little church. We're not Queensway or these thousands and thousands of people with millions of dollars in the bank. We're a little church. I'm not saying a bad confession. I'm just stating a fact. We're a little church with a little budget. How are we? Little church supposed to affect a city. Any ideas? Because I have no idea. This is not a rhetorical question. I just don't know. Maybe some of you are smarter than me. But I do know that the 318 went against five kings. And I know that, that, that Gideon's 300 went against a horde. And it seems that Jesus' 12, uh, and the ones that were in the upper room, how many were in the upper room? 120? Ten times as many. They took the known world. It seems that God loves using small, insignificant, that what everyone else would look and say, that is not possible. It seems that God loves to take that, pluck it out, and just throw his, his, his pixie dust, his anointing, his glory over it, and just say, oh yeah, you think it's impossible? Watch this. He breathes on it, and that little tiny thing becomes an oak tree. I don't know how God's going to do it. I have no clue or conception how this is going to actually play out in real life. All I know is that he obviously knows I'll explode if he tells me. So he's just trying to get me to get it. We're just in a season of getting it. Then he's obviously going to have to reveal in the future how we use it. He's going to obviously have to give us favor. He's going to have to move puzzle pieces. He's going to have to move chess pieces around. He's going to have to orchestrate favor and money and television because I'm telling you it's coming. I don't know what it is, Jenny, but Dr. Dufresne, the prophet of God, said he has been endeavoring to do something in this city for a long time. And men keep getting in the way and ruining it. And that's why he yelled at me in the back room and he said, don't mess it up. Amen. So he did. you were there. I was there. Remember, he leaned across the couch and he pointed his finger right in my face and he screamed. I mean, you could hear him outside and don't mess it up. And I started physically shaking. He scared me so badly. Pastor Nancy, who's not the most, she's nurturing, but not nurturing. Do you understand? She just slap you first. <laughs> tell you not to cry. She's just a tough lady. I like tough people. I don't like too, much, too many crying buckets. But Pastor Nancy, who's not the most that way, she come around, put her, her, she's never done it since, put her arm around me because I was physically shaking. Put her arm around me. Calm down, Pastor. Calm down, Pastor. Everything's going to be okay. No, it's not. No, it's not. I'm going to mess it up. I know I'm going to mess it up. Calm down, Pastor. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. She's there comforting me while I'm crying. And Dr. Friend yelled at me. 
because the prophet's not job is not to comfort me the prophet's job is to say something and he God was saying through him people have been messing it up I get them in position and they mess it up and I have to start all over again don't mess this up I've been endeavoring to touch Toronto for years it started in that Bond Church revival, but it's got to pick it up. That next church had a measure of it. That 43-day that revival under Jerry Savelle, that was under the mantle. But it got cut short. It only was a mini version of a revival. I'll say something which I've never said before, but I know it to be true. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm hesitant, Lord. I'm hesitant. I don't know if I should say that. But Dr. Sumrall called the Toronto blessing the Toronto curse. You know that thing that happened in the mid-90s at airport church? They had a lot of manifestations. I was there. I went to it right at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end. There were people by the Holy Ghost. There were people by flesh, and there were people by demons all beside each other, and everyone thought it was God. <laughs> ridiculous. Because there was no foundational word. Without the word, you'll get into error. Your demons will come in. Then they're barking like dogs and cooking like chickens. God never demeans his high creation of a human being to that of an animal. It's against his order, his nature, his patterns, and his word. And yet the author of that revival wrote a whole book and did a whole chapter about animal utterances. As ignorant, as an ignoramus as you can possibly be. Totally out of the will of God. Now... I'm, I'll, I'll say it, Lord. I don't want to say it, but I'll say it. Those people, were, those people picked up that there was supposed to be a revival in the city, but it wasn't assigned to them. That's why it didn't work. They weren't ready for it, Jenny. They never had the foundation. They never had the spiritual fatherhood. They never had the revelation of the word. God never authored. God authored some things in that move, but not where it went. Men got in the way. I believe that they picked up. There was something in the atmosphere for a move of God in Toronto, and they grabbed it, but they weren't, authored. they weren't authorized to grab it. I believe what is in the atmosphere for Toronto, and by no means think that we're the only church, because I'm not saying that, but the assignment, there is an assignment on this ministry for this city. There may be other assignments on other ministries in Toronto as well for the city, and we all work together. I don't know. I'm not saying we're the only ones. When, 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 when Elijah said, I'm the only one, God said, I got 7,000. So I'm not saying I'm the only one. There may be other mantles and other assignments and other churches for this city that we all work together in. Or we might be the only one because none of them will listen. I don't know. All I know that I know is that there's an, a mantle of an assignment for this city that God authored. And a lot of people have tried things in the past to get things going with a revival, but God never authored it which is why it came to nothing and it turned into a curse, not a blessing. That's why Dr. Summer was bold enough to say it, even though we got a lot of persecution for saying that, but it's the truth. That opened doors to demon spirits that, that, was, that was full of error and darkness, much of that was darkness. And they still don't understand and they still haven't repented of it. What I'm saying is I think some people pick up. God wants to do something and then they grab it, it's mine. But Dad Hagen taught us Pastor Nancy's taught me. When you're in a service, Pastor Craig, and she said, and you pick something up. She had it with, with, with Dad Hagen many times. She picked up. Somebody's supposed to give a word of prophecy. And she had the word of prophecy bubbling on the inside of her. Are you listening carefully? Because I'll teach you something that they don't teach you in Bible school. 
It was bubbling. She even knew the first statement, the first word. It's like a tissue box. She knew the first statement. But underneath that gifting, that bubbling, that word of prophecy, there was a check. And she said, you've got to learn how to look past the gift and check the inner witness. See, God, she was picking up the prophecy and even knew what to say. But inside she had a check. It's not assigned to you. And she said she watched people stand up, not, not looking at the gift, but not the check. Not the inner witness. And they would start to prophesy. And Dad Hagen would say, uh, that, well, you weren't supposed to do that. Sit down. Wow. It's better that you figure it out before Dad Hagen talks to you in front of thousands of people. So she would go quiet. But she could feel it. Then all of a sudden, somebody would stand up, say the exact word for word verbatim what she knew. And Dad Hagen said, thank you. That's right. If she had stood up, he would have said, sit down. You've got to look past the initial what God's trying to do. And you need to say, what is my role in doing it? And I think a lot of these people, they have picked up God wants to do something in the city, but they haven't checked, am I the one assigned to it? And they just take it. And then it goes to nothing because they weren't ready. They hadn't prepared themselves. They didn't have the foundation of the word and the spirit to protect them through the demonic strategies that would try to derail that revival. Why do you think Azusa Street failed? It wasn't because William Seymour didn't pray. He didn't have enough strongness in the word because which, which people came into that room and tried to control the service with witchcraft and he would not stand up and tell them to stop. And it went from a holy move of God, which was awesome in its moment, to complete fiasco and it died. The anointing left. Because the man of God would not rebuke the people that were in witchcraft. You see, you got, you, it's not just about having a revival. It's about having the whole thing, what is required for the revival to go the distance. It's not, it's not private, so I can say, but, you know, Bob Tilton down in the States, wonderful man of God, wonderful big church. And, and, and Norval Hayes had a big revival there. You can still watch things on YouTube of it. But you see, because the pastor started getting over into error with taking hour-long offerings, milking the people for money, making it about a moneymaker instead of about a pure revival, God said to Norville, tell him to stop it. And he's the pastor. He's the host. Tell him to stop his behavior or this revival ends tonight. And he warned him. And he backed off. He was submissive. But after a little bit longer, he started getting back into that greedy, money-minded flow, and the anointing left that revival. That revival affected thousands of people all over the world. But you see, it couldn't last the distance because the pastor wasn't prepared. There are demonic assignments that will be unleashed to destroy revivals in their infancy. So that is one of the reasons God has such a long season of preparation. Because the pastor, character-wise, has to be ready. Doctrinally-wise, has to be ready. Spiritual fatherhood-wise, has to be ready. Has to know the balance of the ditches on either side in the middle of the road, doctrinally, with demons and with this and with all that. Because it's so easy to derail a revival. And the devil has strategies released to derail revivals. So just because somebody picks up there should be a revival doesn't mean that God has assigned it to them. And even if he has assigned it to them, it doesn't mean that they're ready. 
You've got to wait for the wineskin to be made ready before he pours in the wine. I'm telling you, I know it in my spirit. There are certain things like that church, they pick certain things up, but I don't know if it was assigned to them. I'm not saying equivocally it wasn't, but I'm not saying equivocally it was either. All I know is that it ended in failure, and God does not end in failure. So I won't pass judgment. Maybe it was them, but the timing is off. Maybe it was them, and they were ready, but they got, I don't know. I don't know. I don't care. All I know is that there's an assignment on us for something for Toronto. That's, I don't want to compare us to other people. I'm just saying there's an assignment on us. Unlike other revivals, I don't want to cut this one short like what happened with Brother Jerry. I don't want to this end in error like Azusa Street. I don't want this to end in demonic manifestations like the airport church. I don't want this to end in a money, greedy, a covetous flow like the Texas revival. There's many other revivals I could tell you and the errors that they got into. The one down in Florida, oh, seeing female angels. And all this demonic stuff, the angels, those are not angels, they're demons. And he's too stupid to figure it out because he doesn't know doctrine. He doesn't have a spiritual father to slap him. There's so many elements that have to come, pillars that have to be erected before a revival happens. Because there's so much danger associated with it. There's so many demons released to destroy it. You've got to have pillars in place. And we've been planting pillars for 15 years. This is the 16th. And we're still probably not fully ready because just because we pick up the assignment for Toronto doesn't mean it happens the next day. It means now we're finally holding it. Now we finally can build with it and use it. But that don't mean that we're fully ready because it's probably going to be a number more years before he says, son, you're ready now. Now I can pour my spirit out. And you can see the manifestation of my glory, but it won't destroy you. The wineskin won't burst. And you won't fall into sin and error and sexual perversion and money perversion and this weird demonic perversion and all that. You'll bypass that because you're ready. Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying is this mantle is so valuable to God. It's taken us this long just to get it. But it'll probably take us a little bit longer to... Get to the place where we're fully authorized by him to use it. Yes. But we first have to get it. We just won't put the cart before the horse. We have to get it. Yes, sir. I don't know if that makes sense. I wasn't planning on saying any of that. But sometimes it's good to talk about these things. Because uh, I don't want to miss it. And let me tell you, the devil loves Toronto. He's got his grip. He's sunk his claws deep into this city's innermost being. He is not going to let it go without a fight. Right. And when, when us and potentially others stand up and say, God has anointed us with an assignment to destroy hell in this city. You think he's just going to stand back and let you walk through? He will come with every ounce of persecution. He'll try to slap every lawsuit. He'll try to do, he'll use every evil man in any capacity that they can be used to destroy you. But yet we will stand. That's another reason you have to get ready. Because some people can handle the sexual immorality and the, and, the, and the temptation of covetousness and money. And they can handle the doctrine. They can handle the demons. But they can't handle the persecution. They'll crumble when people attack their character and lie about them and say you did this when you didn't. So there's so many areas we have to be ready because it's not just people that we're preaching to. There's demon spirits that control atmospheres in this city. And this mantle is strong enough, Lorraine, to destroy them. To not destroy them like they disappear, but to push those spirits back. 
so that they're blinding eyes over the eyes of the men and women. The Bible says the devil blinds their eyes that they can't see the glorious side of the gospel. We have to push them back so that that blinding is, is removed so that when we preach, people say, I've never heard this before. I've never seen this before. Yes, I want Jesus. But until you take that blinder off, they just are against you, against you, against you. There's so much to come, guys. This is that when I talk, I'm not talking about the anointing to preach. I'm talking about an assignment for a city. It's massive. It's generational. It is beyond me and it is beyond you. It is beyond our lifetime. Yeah. People have been praying for this yes. before I was born. Yes. Do you know that? Yeah. Grandmothers have been praying for this before we, any of us were born. They have been crying to God with fasting and prayer. Save the city. Lord, let a move of God come to the city like in the olden days where they're talking about downtown Toronto. Let a move of God come. What they didn't know and what we didn't know is that the same mantle down there is on us today. Well, it's coming at the end of this year. There are people that have prayed for this, have fasted tears for this have been ridiculed for this. And they're in heaven saying, Lord, did my prayer produce anything? And Jesus says, look over the edge. And they look down into the earth and they see a church. Your prayers help birth promise of life. Your prayers got him out of Peru and back into my will. Your prayers caused Dr. Dufresne to get into that church and prophesy. Your prayers have helped. This church is doing what you've prayed, Granny. And if this church doesn't quit and picks it up and keeps going until I give them the final go-ahead, this church will fulfill the assignment for revival that, Granny, you were praying for in the 1920s, in the 1800s, in the 1700s. Do you understand this is not me? This is not you. This is generationally beyond us. This is God's hand. He chose us. Why, I don't know, but he did. It's a very sacred thing. It's a very holy thing. It's very special to me. <laughs> Hallelujah. I hope I'm not freaking you out. I know it's 312, but let me just, I got five minutes and then I'll quit. I got off a little bit, but that's okay. Hallelujah. Praise God. So I'll be up at Oasis for a while. That's why we couldn't tell you, but that's why you can't come up until January. Because I don't be bumping into people. I need to get up there away to pray in this fast. And then we'll open it up in January. Now, you know this is an extreme fast for me, not for you, but for me, it's an extreme fast. So there's nothing at home. There's no, there's no housework. There's no intimacy with my wife. There's no eating or drinking. I put my personal business on hold. I'm not paying bills. I'm not doing housework. I'm not watching television. There's no entertainment. There's no emails, no texts, no phone calls. So if you try, you won't get any response. There's no appointments. There's no dentist. There's no nothing. I am pushing pause for Jesus. There's no counseling appointments. There's no staff meetings. There's no preaching. There's no Bible school. There's nothing to do with anything. I wake up, I drink some water, and I spend every waking moment in the word and in prayer. And that's it. I do nothing else. And I'm doing that for 40 days. And what is me will be emptied. And what is God will be poured in. What I'm asking you is when Moses went up, the people, didn't, the people ignored what he was doing. And they got him to sin. I don't want the congregation to become lackadaisical, lethargic, stop coming, stop 
showing, oh, he's not there anyway. I won't come. You don't come from me. You come to honor Jesus. I'm asking you to fast and do your part while I'm fasting, but also keep maintaining your commitment to the local church. Come, there will still be preaching and it will still be good. Bring your tithe. Let's make sure the budget is strong. Let's make sure the ministry of helps is strong. Let's make sure every element is strong. It shouldn't, if it falls apart in my absence, it was never strong to begin with. Because it's got to be strong in spite of me. It's got to be strong because it's built on the word. It's not built on my personality. It's very important that you hearken and you listen to me and what I'm saying. Because I don't want to come back to mess. I don't believe I will. I, I really believe the congregation is with me on this. And I really believe that you're getting it. Can I say these last few words before I close? <laughs> that day on the 30th when he got all this over to me and he said, will you receive it? And he talked about the sustaining anointing and all that kind of stuff. About two hours later, an hour and a half, two hours after that experience, I went back into prayer. And I, I just took me an hour and a half to just kind of acknowledge and absorb everything he had said. And I went back into prayer. I won't give all the details, but I had a very dramatic experience. Uh, God's never entered the room like that ever before. And I don't know if he'll ever do it again, but he, his presence came in a very dramatic way. And, and I started to prophesy. Believe me, it wasn't out of my head. It's like, <laughs> it's like these words came out of my spirit and God was using my mouth and I was just speaking them. But it was a very uh, profound and deep experience, deeper than I normally have. And I won't say more details than that because it's unnecessary. But these words came out of my spirit as I began to prophesy. This is what I heard myself say. Oh, to be counted worthy to walk in the footsteps of the master. Oh, for the honor of walking in the path of the Lord. And it stopped. And I recorded it and I wrote it out and I've been... I've been, it's like an anchor to my soul. I've been saying that. I've been reminding myself of that. And the Lord showed me something, Blair, that I've never seen before. I've never heard anybody say this before. I don't think a lot of people talk about fasting because most people don't do fasting. Not today, anyway. Maybe back in the old days, they fasted a lot. But in modern society, people, you don't hear people talk about it very often. So there's not a lot of teaching on it. And, and, but I heard the Lord say, Son, you're looking at this. I look at this opposite to the way you look at this. He said, you're looking at this like this is scary. You're looking at this like this is heavy and hard. You're looking at this like you're going to lose something. Well, we do. We lose food and we lose all the flesh, right? He said, I don't look at it that way. He said, I and your spirit, you're so in your mind and your flesh, you don't even realize how carnal you are. He said, your spirit and me looks at it this way. It is a great privilege. It is a great honor to be asked by God to do this. Amen. You're looking at it like I'm going to lose. I'm looking at it like you're going to gain. Yeah. You're looking at it like, oh, this is going to be hard. I'm looking at it like this. This is the greatest honor of your life. And I say those words every day. Oh, for the honor to walk in the footsteps of the master. Now, the Lord said this to me. He said, I don't ask everybody to do this fast. He said, a lot of people do these fasts, but I don't author them. Why on earth you would do a fast that God didn't author is beyond me. You must be a real spiritual person because I'm not that spiritual. I'm not going to fast unless he tells me to because it's not easy. It's hard. But the Pharisees, the Bible says, fasted so that people could see them. So sometimes you can fast for the wrong motive. And you want everybody to know how spiritual you are. Right? 
But unless God asks you to fast, you shouldn't do it. You've got to be led by your spirit on that. I think God would probably have us fast, Lorraine, more than we normally do. I'm not talking about this big one, but just on daily life, probably more if we'd listen to our spirits more. Because Dad Hagen talked all the time that he didn't fast very long, but he lived a fasted life. And he actually fasted almost every day of his life in a little capacity. But a lot of people, they all want these extremes. Now, this is an extreme, but I'm talking about daily living. So why would you do something unless God authored it? Because is, uh, is, is it because you want everybody to think you're spiritual? Because I certainly don't want, I don't care. I, I'm not interested in people thinking I'm spiritual. I'm certainly not going to fast 40 days so that you think I'm spiritual. I really don't care that much what anybody thinks. I'm not going to do without food for 40 days because I care about what you think. But I'm just saying some people do it for the wrong reasons. But the Lord showed me, son, I'm asking you to do this, and I don't ask everybody to do this. So the few that I ask this of, you are looking at it wrong. This is an honor that I have asked you. I don't ask everybody. I've asked you to do this. This is a privilege. You need to look at this like, I can't believe I get to do this. Not, I can't believe I have to do this. I can't believe I get the privilege of walking in his path. Because that's where the master went. And you can't do it just because you want to walk in his footsteps. It has to be authored of God. Praise God. So I don't want you to feel sorry for me because I can't wait. I wish it was tomorrow. I can't wait for November 2nd to come. I have such anticipation. I have such joy when I think about this. Because don't look at it like what you're losing. Look at it like it's an honor. It's a great honor for me to do this. So don't feel bad. And whatever you do, because you should do something. If you're spiritual, every person that is a member of this church, God will speak something to their heart and say, this is your measure. Don't imitate me unless he tells you because you will hurt yourself and the anointing will not be there to help you. And then you can have stomach problems and physical problems and issues. And it's your own fault because you got in the flesh. Don't fast any capacity unless he shows it to you, but he will show you something because we're in unity. Unity means we all do the same thing. doesn't mean we all mean do the same measure of the same thing, but we all do the same thing. So my measure may be this and your measure, Joey, may be that, but we're both in unity because we're doing the same thing, but our measures are different. Remember, we bring which every joint supplies according to the measure of each part. Remember Ephesians 4? We all bring a supply, but our measure is different financially. Our measure is different in prayer. Our measure is different in ministry of helps. And our measure is different in fasting. But we all bring a supply because we're all in unity doing the same thing. So please, don't feel sorry for me. Rejoice with me. What a privilege that I get to do this. I can't tell you how honored I feel, Blair, that Jesus would ask me to do this. This is not hard. This is easy. It's easy. He said, my yoke is not burdensome. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. If I'm in the spirit, it will be light and easy. And what a privilege to be asked by God. So don't feel a second of sadness or woe or woe is unto him. Thank God I'm not. You should, Lord, thank you, Lord. He's privileged to do it. Help him. Praise God. Lord, what is my part? If he's on the mountain, I'm down here. When the cat is away, the mice are to pray, not play. 
Lord, the mice are praying. What is my part? Do I fast 40 days of one thing? Do I fast sweets? Do I fast a week of something else? Do I fast social media? What do I do? What do I fast? How can I seek you more from November 2nd to December 11th? I want to do my part. And when he shows you what your part is, don't dread it. Why? Because God has now asked you, Hortens, to do this. And it is a privilege for him to ask you to do it. You get to do it. You don't have to do it. It's a privilege. You've got to look at your fast that way and it will change. Everything will be different about it. It will become a joy instead of a burden. It will become light instead of heavy. Praise God. Would you do that with me? Would you ask God what your part is? Yes. Praise the Lord. One more, very quickly. Exodus, I can get it done in three minutes. Exodus chapter three, verse one. You there, I'm reading. And Moses kept the flock of Jethro, the father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert, and it came to the mount of God, even to Horeb. Verse two, Exodus three, verse two. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Did you know the Lord appeared to him? <laughs> we just think it was a fire. There was an angel in the fire in the midst of the bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn now aside and see this great sight. Why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he said, draw not nigh hither. In other words, don't come too close. Put off your shoes from off your feet for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the Lord God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. I want you to notice something that Moses is occupied with the sheep. He sees this wonder of a burning bush with an angel in it. He then says, I will turn aside and see this wonder, right? God didn't do anything until Moses made the decision to turn aside and see. This is where a lot of people miss it. God's call, God's, God's wooing you. And you look and you say, yeah, I probably should pray more. But you keep on with your sheep. And then you say, God never talks to me. Did you notice that nothing happened until he turned aside? Yeah. Now, I want you to notice something that's very particular, which I didn't say in the first service. He said verbally, I will turn aside and see. But did you notice God never called him when he said it? God called him when he did it. You can say a whole lot of stuff. Your words mean nothing to God. Your actions is what he's looking for. I can say I'm turning aside to see the sight by this fast. But until I do it, he won't call to me. Jesus is walking on the water. His assignment is the boat. But the Bible says, and it looked like he would pass them by. Then they called to him, Jesus, and he turned and walked. Why? Jesus has to be wanted. That's true. Jesus is looking for interest. If the disciples hadn't called, he would have walked on by. Yeah. If Moses hadn't turned in, God would have, that all that would have been lost. Yeah. In other words, God is saying to me, Craig, you got your sheep, you got your job, you got your church. I'm asking you to push pause and turn away from them. I'm, I, I, I'm in a burning bush. I'm, I'm going to do something wonderful something miraculous. 
in this season of the wilderness, in this fast. I need you to turn away from your life and I need you to look now. And as soon as I say it, which I'm doing in preaching, but as soon as I do it, which starts November 2nd, God's looking for action. When I do it, then God will say, hey, come over here. God's going to talk to me in this 40 days. He's going to show me some stuff, but he won't until I do it. I have to show interest verbally and I have to show obedience actionly. I have to tell him I'm going to do it and then I actually have to act and do it. When I do, he, he, he gets involved and he reveals himself. And what is it? And you know what this fast is going to be? It's going to be a holy experience because anytime you take your shoes off, God is saying, I separate you to an assignment and I empower you with the anointing to do it. He has separated Moses and assigned uh, the assignment with Pharaoh and anointed him. He separated Joshua with the assignment for Jericho and anointed him. He's separating us for the mantle and anointing us. This is going to be a holy time. This is going to be a time where God is looking for action. And this is a time where I can't be distracted. That's why I have to turn away from the sheep. Originally, I told Taylor I was going to keep preaching. Originally, I wasn't even going to tell anybody about this fast. I didn't want to tell anybody. And the Lord said, you have to tell them for two reasons. One, if you don't tell them, you have to say it in order for me to manifest. You, it has to be spoken out loud. Don't hide it. Moses didn't hide from the people where he was going. They responded wrong, but he still told them. So he said, you must tell the congregation, don't hide it from them. One, because it has to be verbalized so I can back you up. And number two, because if the people don't know, they can't get in unity. So I've told you. The other thing, I was going to keep preaching while I did this fast. And the Lord gave me this verse and he said, you cannot minister during this time for that is attending the sheep. Moses turned away from the sheep and he went to seek God. Don't you think there were wild animals that could have killed the sheep in those hours that he was with God? Absolutely. But obviously God protected that fold. Angelic help was available. And there was no loss to Moses with the sheep. And there'll be no loss to me with this congregation. Because I trust that people's hearts are right. And that God's sustaining power and angelic assistance is working with the congregation to sustain it in the absence of the leader. But if I don't turn aside from the sheep, I will violate the purpose of this assignment. Now last thing, and it is the last thing. The Lord said to me, "Do I, he said, when he showed me all this, he said, I've already said this to you. I said, no, you haven't said this to me. This is new. He said, no, oh, I couldn't believe it. Well, he almost fell off the chair. He said, go back and look at your notes. And lo and behold, the very first service, the very first part of the first service that Randy Greer came in 2019, the first thing he said, you can listen to it yourself on the live stream. The first thing he said, he began to prophesy and said, and this is the season for Moses to turn aside from the sheep and to behold the wonder of the burning bush. You need to turn aside, Pastor Craig, and seek God. And then to make sure that I didn't miss it, Errol, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. The very first service, the very first day, the very first part of the very first service, exact parallel to Randy, when Pastor Nancy was here in October, and they don't talk. They know each other, but they're not in their little, they're not in their social group together. They don't, they, they, they know, they respect each other, but they don't talk to each other very often. So she's not calling Randy to ask him what he preached. She didn't know what he said. 
the very first, at the same time, the first service, first day, first part of the first service, Pastor Nancy verbatim, word for word, prophesied what Greer did months before and said, it is time to turn aside from the sheep, Pastor, and begin to look at the wonder of the burning bush and seek the face of God. I knew when I heard that, and I knew Randy had said it. I know now she's saying it. I know they don't know that they said it. I know that God is orchestrating something. I know that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses is going to be established. I know this is a holy truth, but I said, Lord, okay, you want me to pray more? I'll pray more, but this is something bigger than me just praying more. What are you talking about? He didn't answer me until a couple weeks ago. Look at that. He said something over a year ago, and then he only revealed what it meant to me now. <laughs> That's God for you. He doesn't work with our timings. He wants you to pay attention to what happened a year ago. Because for you, it feels a long time. For him, it's a second. It's as if he's already said it to you a second ago, even though for you, it was a year. So what was God saying to us back then? God was talking to me then about the fast now. He was saying to me then, turn aside. Look at the wonder of what I'm going to do. I'm going to reveal myself to you. It's a holy thing. Turn aside from your daily life and seek me. He said it out of two prophets in our pulpit at the same pattern. And then he said it to me because I'd forgotten about that. Then he said it as a third statement in my spirit out of the mouth of three witnesses. What I'm trying to tell you is this is a holy moment that has come upon us. God himself, the creator of the universe, Joey. This is not my little buddy. This is God who sits upon the circle of the earth whose eternity, eternity is inside him. This is God saying to little old us, turn aside. Look at what I've offered you. Take your shoes off. This is holy boy. I'm going to, you're going to have an encounter with me. Forget about how important your life is and all your little intricacies and delicacies and whatever trinkets, put it away. This is your time with me. And you're going to get that anointing. Just like Moses got that anointing. Praise God. You're going to get that anointing like Jesus got that anointing. You're going to get that anointing like David got it. Like Joshua got it. You're going to get it. I'm telling you guys, we're going to get it. Look at the parallels. Look at all the parallels. This is our moment. Don't, don't, don't squander it. Leave today and start saying, God, what is my part? What is my part? I will not be denied. If you told him, you'll tell me I'm in his church. I have a right to you. I have a right to know. What is my part? I don't want to do anything more than what you want. I don't want to do anything less than what you want. I don't want to do it so that people think I'm spiritual. I don't want to do it because I want to feel spiritual. I want to do it because you ask me to do it. And then Wayne, don't go and tell Joey what God told you. Joey, don't go discuss with Tyrone what God told you because you might have to do this much, Joey, and he might be only asked by God to do this much, and then he's going to feel in competition with you like, well, he's more spiritual, and look what God asked him to do, and I guess I'm not that important, and Lord, why didn't you ask me to do more, or why did you ask me to do so much? And that is flesh carnality. You don't discuss with other people what you're doing, just like you don't discuss with people what you give in the offering. It's private. How much you make and how much you tithe is private knowledge. I don't even know it. You don't need to tell me. You don't need to tell your little buddy. This is between you and God. Your measure in the fast, like your measure in finances, is private. But please obey what he says. Then I'm up 
on the mountain and you're here and we're all doing the same thing but to different measures. There's unity. God is pleased. We're all turning aside from the sheep. We're all taking our shoes off. We're all experiencing an encounter with God. And when I come back, I'm telling you, we're just going to have a celebration. It's going to be awesome. Then we're going to celebrate Jesus' birthday. And that's going to be awesome. And then we're going to enter a new year. And this mantle is going to start working. What an exciting day to be a part of. My God, my God, my God, what a day to be a part of. Let me just say one more thing on record. I did not say that the people that did that move at the airport were out of the will of God. Didn't say that. I said it ended out of the will of God. They may have started right. They probably did. All I'm saying is some people catch a whiff of what God's desire is and they grab it, but they don't check, is it assigned to me? And if it is, am I ready? You don't ever want to do something just because you know it's supposed to happen that God didn't ask you to do. And you don't ever do it even if he did ask you to do until you're ready. Now, where are we in that category? We know God's asked us to do it. So that's the first box. But we're not quite ready yet. So we can't take the second. We just have, we only picking it up. We still got a little bit more time. And he showed me, he told me exactly when it's going to start happening. He told me the year. He told me exactly what part of the year. I know exactly when this is going to hit. I'm not, in, I'm just not telling you because I don't think it's necessary to talk about it right now. But I know exactly when this is going to happen. When we're going to see the dramatic influx of divine joinings, I know exactly when it's going to happen. He already showed it to me. And it's an exact 100 year parallel to the other church. It's going to happen exactly for us at the same time it happened for them. Because God's got a pattern that he's keeping. There's a set time that he's keeping. But we're not quite ready. That's why we're picking it up this time, Taylor. And then we've got a little bit of time where he's going to just get all the rough edges off us. Just make sure all these pillars are in line and in place. So that when the hell is released to stop us, we don't crumble. When money temptation comes, we don't take it. When... Sexual temptation comes, we don't yield to it. When other manifestations of demonic power like those angels come, we don't yield to it. We we have to be so circumspect. Because this revival, we don't have the the luxury of letting it get derailed. We have to make this one count. This is going to usher in the rapture. Praise God. Why do you think he said a fresh anointing? I didn't even connect it until this morning. He said, son, a fresh anointing is coming on you to cast out devils. I thought, well, I just thought, praise God. That's independent, I guess. Where did that come from, Lord? This morning he spoke to me in between services. He said, you know why I told you that? I said, I would really like to know. He said, because I said in Matthew 17, this kind comes out not by with prayer and fasting. The stronger devils come out with prayer and fasting. And he said, you're about to do a fast. And he said, there's an anointing coming in that fast to cast out devils such as you've never seen before. And this is going to be part of this mantle for Toronto. Because people have to know out there that there is a God that casts out demons. I don't know if Quinn's school and Aaron is indicative of public high schools, but it is a vile cesspool of filth. The teachers, the, the students cussing. Yeah. Yeah. Rivers, oh, torrents of vile sexual cussing yeah. that they are screaming at the teachers and the teachers are not permitted to say a word yeah. because of our stupid liberal government that has handcuffed the teachers. Yeah. 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 
And the devils are running rampant in those schools. And students are talking about suicide all the time. And they're getting demon possessed. And we need not just me, we need young people to hold up the banner and say, even if you persecute me, and even if you mock me, and even if you hate me, and even if I stand alone, I say that Jesus will set you free if you let me pray for you. We've got to raise up a group of teenagers that are lions. What we have are pussycats. We need lions. You don't send a pussycat into battle, you send a lion. I'm telling you, this anointing to cast out devil is going to make, it's going to be a game changer. Praise God. Oh my God, I could keep going, but I will stop and we'll pick it up next week. Father, I thank you for the mantle that is generational. It is so far beyond me, beyond them, beyond our lifespan, beyond our years, beyond our, this denomination. It's beyond it all. It is a generational issue. This is the fulfillment of the years, hundreds of years of prayers that people have made for this city. And not just us, Father. I'm sure there are many churches that have similar mantles that are in a preparatory stage like we are, and we will work together. But because I don't know who they are, I can only keep my backyard clean and talk, on what's, talk about what's on us because I don't know about them. But Lord, I do know that this is bigger than me, that you've endeavored to do something in this city for a long time and people have kept aborting your plan. Father, we're, we don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We think soberly as we ought to think according to Romans chapter 12. But Father... We want you to know that to the best of our ability, we will not abort this plan. We will not abort this mental or this revival. Father, we want to tell you that we feel you have found a church that will obey you. We don't think more highly because we know that we're susceptible like all the rest were to failure. But Lord, we will keep our hearts pure. We will keep close to you. We will obey you at every turn. And if we do that, you will keep us under that umbrella, that, that, that covering of your wing and of your anointing and you'll help us walk this path. And you'll help us get all the pillars in place that need to be so that when this does break and when we do see a mighty move of God to rock and shake the city, that we won't crumble under the pressure, that the wineskin won't explode, the wine be lost and the skin be destroyed, that we will operate in that anointing and the wineskin will be preserved and the anointing will fulfill its purpose and not be lost in the process. Father, it's taken a long time and we have still some time to go, but we're in a very exciting moment because at least we're about to pick it up. And in the near years to come, we're gonna see it work. What a privilege to be allowed this revelation, to see this and to experience it in our lifetime. Lord, I, I, I'm so beyond words. I'm so, I don't know how to tell you thank you. I don't know how to show you my appreciation that you selected us about all, all the people, all the generations. You set us in this moment, at this time, all the people that looked and longed for this move of God, that prayed for this move of God. You chose us to actually execute it. Lord, and, I, and again, I repeat, and many others in Toronto, we're not the only ones. But Lord, we have a part to play. And I'm so grateful that we have a part. And I'm so grateful there's an mantle on us to empower us to do that part. Lord, let these people in this congregation sense the, let them feel the sense of destiny upon them. That there's a destiny on this church more than the average church. There's, there's something greater. There's something generational. There's something large. It's from heaven. Yes. Let them feel connected to it. Let them feel a part of it. Let them feel like it's part of them. 
Let them pray and fast with me in this season so that they would enter into it like I'm entering, that they would pick it up like I'm picking it up. Let, let us do this as a team, Lord. Let it not just be them gawking at me. Let them participate and let us pick it up together. And I thank you, Father, that you're going to help them and you're going to help me. And it's going to be the best months of 2020. And we're going to end with a bang and with a salute and with a celebration and with joy that we have fulfilled the plan of God in this unusual year of 2020. And we'll look back and we'll say, this is the best year we ever had. And we'll look in the future and we'll say 2020 was the most unusual, but the best year we ever had. The world cowered to COVID, but we rejoiced in the mantle. The world cowered to COVID, but we rejoiced in the mantle. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I rejoice. It is the moment of the mantle. I rejoice in it. And I praise you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, we will be strong and we will fulfill the assignment. Oh my God, I don't know if you feel that anointing. Just put your hands up, Lord, I thank you. Just impart that to them right now. My God, Lord, I don't know even how to say it in English. Lord, that thing that I sense, that anointing, just let it come on them, let it come in them, let it, let it, let it their bones marinate in it. Let, let it go right through them, Father. In Jesus' name, let them hear the call of destiny upon them and let them answer it. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. And I thank you. And everybody said, Amen and Amen and Amen.